0: welcome to hillhurst united church the podcast we're really glad you're here whoever you are wherever you're at join us on the journey so i grew up not in vancouver actually Um, i spent the first 16 years of my life in the semi-arid desert on the outskirts of Kamloops in BC. My family owned a home that was built into the side of a mountain, and we had acres of completely useless, rocky sagebrush-filled terrain as a backyard. And I have three younger brothers, and that mountain, as you might be able to imagine, was an entire world. We had forts and hideouts and hobbit holes and a lot of bear spray. And on those summer days, we would be gone until my mom yelled that it was time for dinner. I'm not that young. (laughs) I remember vividly. The last time I emerged from on top of that mountain, my brothers had gone home ahead of me, and I had stayed behind playing house, sweeping the pine needles from one of our forts with the branch, of, the branch of a tree. And as I was sweeping, I heard a very unsettling noise. And it could have been anything. It could have been the wind, it could have been the squirrel, it could have been a mountain goat, it could have been a bear. And more likely than anything, it was actually a mountain lion, because they were around a lot. So, knowing this mountain fairly well, I took off at a great speed down the path of what I thought was the least resistance. Fear was what was propelling me forward, and as I picked up speed on the way down, what happened? Yeah, I fell. I fell all the way down the rocky hillside and I limped into the kitchen for dinner in tears, in part because of the fear, but also because the mountains in the desert are covered in cacti. And my Levi's were pinned so tightly to my legs with cactus prickles that I spent the next three hours face down while my mother used tweezers to pull cactus needles out of my butt. (laughs) Yeah. So as I thought about mountaintop moments this week, I couldn't help but remember this. It's not the moment you want to remember, but it's what I remembered. And I began to wonder to myself how I would have come down the mountain had I foreshadowed the cactus incident? How would I have come down the mountain if I wasn't alone? How would I have come down the mountain if I had actually seen what made the noise that startled me? So to put this in terms that might make sense to those of us living at the base of the Rocky Mountains, would I have taken the green run? Would I have taken the blue run? Would I have taken the black diamond? Or would I have taken the backcountry? So this is my question of the week for you. And Jade's going to put it up on the screen. Without overthinking it, what is your run of choice? Maybe you've never skied before and you don't know what any of this means. Tell your neighbor that. Maybe you have a season's pass and you seek out the moguls. I put it in emojis for you so you could understand, just in case you're a newbie. This isn't a metaphor yet. I actually want you to turn to your neighbour and tell them what run you would choose. So go ahead, you have a minute. How do you get down the mountain? everyone. I hope that this has inspired many hiking or skiing adventures or misadventures that you will share over coffee afterwards. I will make it very clear to you, my run of choice is the apres ski, the red one. (laughs) Thank you. Please join me in prayer. Holy God, in your light, we are prone to stumble blinded, sometimes single-sighted, sometimes help us to walk the path of our entire lives in your radiance. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you today. Amen. So what I learned in this unfortunate encounter with the desert hills was this. How you leave the mountain no matter what has taken place on top of the mountain how you leave the mountain matters greatly and the good news for us is that over the past six weeks we have been writing that exit plan together we've been training on the bunny hill if you will or sidestepping down the black the transfiguration the story we just heard today the transfiguration is the culmination of the season that has been showing us how God reveals God's self and what we are to do with that revelation. And so today, I told you at the very start of this series, this was like the second Top Gun. You didn't have to be here the week before to understand what was going on. We are going to go step by step this morning because that is, as I learned the hard way, how you descend a mountain there are six steps that's how you're going to know where we are in the sermon okay six steps and we're going to start with the first one the first step we take when we come off of the mountain is to come and see The passage that we heard read this morning begins, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother, John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. At the very start of our series, you might remember, we heard a story of Jesus inviting the disciples to the place he was staying to come and see for themselves. This is an invitation that Jesus is making once again today for the disciples to come and see what this life of prayer, what this life of relationship with God, what this life of of contemplation and action looks like, it is not only about what happens on the mountain. It's about what that mountaintop experience then inspires in us. What does what we've seen make different in our lives? What might what we have seen make different in the world? Are we accepting that invitation? Are we giving that invitation to come and see? In his famous April 3rd sermon in 1968, the day before he was killed, Martin Luther King Jr. extended this same invitation. Giving gratitude for his life, he declares all of the things that he has lived to see that have changed who he is. He gives thanks that he was around in 1960 to see students all over the South start sitting in at lunch counters. He gives thanks that in 1961 he was alive to see an end to segregation and interstate travel. In 1963, he saw the black community of Birmingham bring into being the Civil Rights Bill. And because, because of what he has seen, He then goes on to give his famous closing remarks that are an invitation that sparked a movement.
1: Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. But I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the Promised Land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
0: What is different Because of what you have seen. When we open our eyes and accept the invitations to come and see God's world around us, a world that is torn apart by things like racism and natural disaster and poverty and violence and addiction, we have to cling to the remembrance that the prophets before us, Ancient prophets like Moses and Elijah and Jesus, modern, more modern prophets like Dr. King. They saw these things too. God self-witnesses these things too. And just because we might not have seen the promised land doesn't mean that in our invitations to come and see the world that is around us here and now, It doesn't mean we cannot catch glimpses of God's glory. We begin to walk off the mountaintop out of the glory of our faith and into the grit of it when we come and see it is our first step. And we take the next step. We allow ourselves to be changed by that. Matthew continues, and Jesus was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became bright as light. The before and the after that we talked about a few weeks ago. When we experience something, an encounter, a loss, a major decision, we have an opportunity to propel our whole self into a brand new way of being. We've discovered that I include me as if I'm part of this scientific experiment. We've discovered that when humans learn something, if we attend a conference or a lecture and leave feeling inspired, we lose 80% of what we've learned almost immediately, like the price of a new car driving it off the lot, if we don't implement it right away when we are given the opportunity to learn something new, something that could change things, we're called to respond immediately while it's still boiling in our blood. We heard the story this season of Jesus calling the first disciples, Jesus, a rabbi calling the least of the least, into one of the most prestigious positions of the time, a position that frees these disciples from their lives of normality, their lives of complacency, and instead invites them to follow, to be covered in the dust of their rabbi and learn. And they drop their nets and they decide to follow him immediately. We have to let the mountaintop change us, despite what any of the people who weren't up there with us might say. When we try, when we allow it to be that catalyst of change, and that might not look pretty, to be covered in the dust, to ask the silly questions, to fight for what we know is right, but we do it, and we do it immediately, because to say the same To stay the same is to have not experienced it at all. So we take our second step, and we allow ourselves to be changed. And we take our third step, and in it, we stay salty. The story continues, suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Your role in all of this, in the work of God in the world, in the work of justice, in the work of peace, in the work of reconciliation, whatever role you, you are playing in whatever area you are inhabiting, your role is a critical one. It is good for us to be here. If only we each had the confidence of Peter to say such a thing in the midst of Jesus, it is good for us to be here. This is your light. You are the light of the world. God, it is good for us to be here. This past Wednesday evening, I had the privilege of attending an interfaith vigil for the people of Turkey and Syria put on by by the uh, Baha'i community in Calgary and I sat with 25 faith leaders with all different beliefs and everyone was praying. Everyone in their own way, in their own language, in their own spirit for the healing of the nations. It was so salty because we were each there. It was so salty that I dare say our prayers might have made a difference. The power was in each of us individually coming together, not in the special words or our ability to understand them, but in being there together. It takes salt to traverse down the side of a mountain, knees rattling, feet gripping, stones, sliding, and who you are is a part of that journey. And how two people journey from that mountain are going to be two different experiences, and that is exactly what Jesus is counting on. Be you in this work. It matters that you are you. And we take another step and we remember to allow ourselves to be loved. We allow ourselves to be loved as confident Peter, as I like to call him, is still speaking in our passage. Suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, the beloved with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. We heard these same words the first sunday of epiphany during the telling of jesus baptism the skies open as jesus is emerging from the water a dove descends and god's voice speaks not only to jesus but to every one of us and says you are my beloved i had a congregant come up to me a couple of weeks ago and they said they were holding this word beloved after hearing it in the sermon. And one morning in a meditation, they had this moment where they heard the word differently. It wasn't the King James version, the beloved. It was our American version, beloved. And what they heard was be loved. This is my son. Be loved. This is my son, bringer of love to all of the nations, all of the valleys, all of the places of unrest, to all of the broken hearts and impoverished souls. May you be loved. Listen to him. Everything he is working for is in pursuit of this and this alone, that you are loved, that all are loved when you step your foot on unsteady ground as you walk down the mountain, as we all do know that you are loved and that you are to be love as you go. We take another step and we assume in our hike down the mountain, we assume our blessing when the disciples heard this they fell to the ground and they were overcome by fear but Jesus came and touched them saying get up and do not be afraid a few weeks ago Robin preached to us on the Beatitudes this seemingly exclusive but totally backwards list blessed are the poor in spirit blessed blessed are those who mourn blessed are the humble blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness blessed are those who we pass on the street and think everything other than they look blessed we are reminded in all we encounter that God's blessing does not fall short of us not when we are struggling with doubt not when we are hopeless and grief stricken, not when we are thanklessly working for a better life, a better world, not when we are paralyzed by fear. The foundation of our being, as steady as that mountain rock, is one of blessing. And this sentence uttered by Jesus immediately after God's voice rains down the words, listen to him, is of utmost importance to our understanding of that blessing. This life is no walk in the park. It is a hike up and down the sides of many, many mountains, and fear has the potential to be our greatest accompanier if we do not heed Jesus' voice here. We are blessed with a God who loves us in it all. Of that, we do not need to ever be afraid. In 1925, a Baptist preacher in Montgomery, Alabama named Vernon Johns preached a sermon on the transfiguration where he implored everyone to speak truth to power as Moses did, as Elijah did, as Jesus did. Those are the three people on the mountaintop in our story. He was an African-American preacher in the height of segregated America, and his focus was on justice. And he says this in his sermon. On the Mount of Transfiguration, there is no representative of wealth or social rank or official position. The place could boast in the way of population only four people, members of a despised race and of the remnant of a subjected and broken nation. But it is here, instead of in Jerusalem or Rome, that the voice of God is heard. It isn't here Instead of Mount Moriah, where the mighty temple stands, that the cloud of glory hovers, out there where a carpenter and three fishermen kept vigil with the promise of a new day, God is a living reality. And life is charged with meaning and radiance. Out there in a deserted place, the meek and the lowly are enabled. This is the blessing we have to carry with us down the mountain. There will be fear when we encounter those who have not seen what we have seen. When we work for a promised land that others cannot fathom, but we take each step knowing our blessing is enabling us in each one. And finally, we get down to the foot of the mountain and we take that final step off of the angled ground. And we step out into the world that was below us and we show them who we are. We don't tell them. Our passage concludes, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Tell no one. Notice in our scripture passage, Jesus does not leave the disciples to their own devices after their encounter with him and his visual divinity. He gives them this instruction. Tell no one until you have seen me raised from the dead. Last week, we had a conversation with Tom Higgins about faith and football, in that order, about what it means to live our whole lives as people who have known God on the mountaintop and have brought that witness down to live in all that we do. In the same sermon I just quoted from Vernon Johns, he says about coming down from the mountain, We enthrone justice in places where there is not serious objection to it. We practice brotherhood in areas within carefully restricted parts. We forgive other people's enemies. We carry a Bible, but not a cross. He says, instead of the second mile, We go a few yards of the first and then wonder that Christian goals are not realized. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The church that Vernon Johns retired from was Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And when he left in 1953, a young preacher by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. took over as the pastor in that pulpit. This is the direction of the world. When we learn how to walk off the mountain, we inspire generational change, political change, systemic change, institutional change. When we know how to walk away from what we have seen and heard in a way that doesn't only inspire us to talk about it, but to do something with it that is when we too can say i have seen from the top of the mountain the promised land martin luther king jr did not concern himself with the mountaintop moses did not concern himself with the mountaintop. Nelson Mandela did not concern himself with the mountaintop. Elijah did not concern himself with the mountaintop. Rosa Parks, Mother Teresa, Malala Yousafzai do not concern themselves with the mountaintop. Those working tirelessly to free people and bodies from the rubble of the Syrian wasteland after the earthquake do not concern themselves with the mountaintop. Those working for right relations, for climate justice, for peace, they do not concern themselves with the mountaintop. You, all of you here, do not concern yourself with the mountaintop. Jesus did not concern himself with the mountaintop. It is the bottom of the mountain. That is what needs to become the destination. The mountaintop is where we make the decision. The bottom is where we make the difference. And the transfiguration of Christ. The story we just heard. This is the vision we need to get back down there. To reveal all that we have seen by way of our steps in the world by way of our walking it out. This is how we have to step off the mountain in the spirit of the revealed and revealing God. That is our epiphany. May it be so, amen thanks so much for tuning in to hillhurst united church the podcast if you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow we're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon leave us a review in itunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurst we'd love to hear from you